Storehouse Dallas. Hebrews 7. Can y'all say Melchizedek? Yes, Melchizedek. I love this guy. And I, this is my favorite book. The book of Hebrews is my favorite book in the Bible. I told my daughter that this, uh, this past spring, and she kind of looked at me with one eyebrow raised, thinking, what in the world? And I said, no, no, no. If you read it and you really dive into it and you really uh, consume it, because it's a, it's a, a heady book. You know, it's not for lightweights. It is a book that takes some meditation in order to to glean the understanding, the fullness of the understanding from it. Um, And so I wanted to just review really quickly um, about the Hebrew sandwich. Remember, I've been talking to you guys about chapter 3 and chapter 4, which is, you know, the bread. And chapter 3 and chapter 4 talks about the rest. And then you've got... um, chapters um, five, and then chapter five introduces something. And it's very interesting because the, the, the author of this book, so wise, but yet so profound, the way the author of this book introduced the order of Melchizedek way in advance of telling us what exactly the order of Melchizedek was. And so what he's trying to do, I believe, through that is emphasize the importance of the revelation. And it's, it's kind of like having an hors d'oeuvre before you have the main course. And so he's, he's, he's wetting our whistle for something that is really very profound. And, um, and I believe one of the most profound revelations in the whole book of the Bible is the order of Melchizedek. So... Uh, I want to talk to you about that. In chapter 5, when he says, when he talks about and he introduces the order of Melchizedek, he does it twice, not giving any explanation, but he does say to us, listen, you guys need to move on away from this spiritual immaturity that you're in. You actually should be teachers, but you're still eating of the foundations of the faith. But I really need you to move beyond that so that you can eat of the deep things of the word, meaning the deep revelation of the word, meaning I'm about to tell you something that is going to help you mature in the faith. So pay attention. It's like the, the whole book of Hebrews up to this point was a drum roll. It was a drum roll saying, listen to what I'm about to tell you, because what I'm about to tell you is the very heart of the gospel. He tells us in, uh, turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 6 verse 1, Because he says something very profound here again. He says, therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and the faith towards God. And so he says this, he said, let us move on to perfection. And so I want to, I'm going to call this not the order of Melchizedek, but I'm going to call this the perfection of the priesthood or the perfect priests. And so he's saying to you, 
there is a perfection in Christ that is available to us through this particular order of Melchizedek and this particular order of, um, of the priesthood. Turning your Bibles to, or you don't have to turn there, I think it's going to be on the screens, but Ephesians 4, because Ephesians 4 also talks about uh, uh, the moving on from the fivefold ministry into the perfection of our life and the fullness of God in us. And so he says this in Ephesians 4. Verse 11, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And then here comes again the drum roll. You can see that there's a, but then there's a maturing that's going to happen. And it says until, say until. We all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to the perfect man. That word means mature or complete to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And he's saying that there is actually something available for us this side of eternity. That means where we can touch the power of the age to come, the word of the age to come, and we can pull that into the now and we can actually begin to live as mature believers. Believers. I get excited. Okay, let's turn to uh, Hebrew chapter 6, verse 19, because we're going to start there, which is really funny the way they broke these chapters up, which wasn't in the, you know, when he was writing the letters, he wasn't labeling <laughs> different sections or saying, I'm writing a letter. Oh, this is going to be chapter 7. No, that's not the way you write a letter. But anyway, all right, let's start in um, Hebrews uh, 6 verse 19 this hope we have is an anchor of the soul both sure and steadfast and which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner say forerunner, forerunner. has entered for us even Jesus having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek so he says two things here he's talking about um, he's talking about a forerunner. The only place in this book where the word forerunner is mentioned is in this place. And it's attributed to Jesus in and towards a priesthood. And so he's saying a forerunner. Well, well uh, let me tell you the definition of a forerunner. A forerunner is a person who goes or is sent in advance to announce the coming of someone or something that follows. Whatever manner or form of the forerunner will be the manner and the form of the followers. And so if the forerunner is operating in a system, you're going to see that those that follow the forerunner are going to function in the same system in order to achieve the same result. Y'all get that? Are you with me? All right. It's very interesting that, the, that in Psalm 110, David calls this an order. The order of Melchizedek. Isn't that an interesting phrase to use? Because he didn't say the priesthood of Melchizedek. He said the order of Melchizedek, and the order, again, is a, is a manner or a function or a system of living. 
It is, a, it is something, if you join an order or you're grafted into an order of something, that means that you're going to function in the way or the system of the order, right? So let's go on. He says, the perfection of the manner or function of this priesthood. If Jesus was a forerunner in this type of priesthood, it tells us that we were made into this priesthood as well. So that's what it can tell us. If Jesus has apprehended this and he ran ahead of us in this order, that means he prepared a way for us to function in this order. And you may think to yourself, well, wait a minute, what does that mean for me? It means that you are a priest and supposed to function as a priest in this order as well. And that doesn't, it, it, and it doesn't matter what you do for a living. You could be a doctor, you could be a lawyer, you could be a plumber, you can be a teacher, you can be a mom, you can be a student, it doesn't matter because he's saying you are a priest in this order and this is the way that you live and this is who you are. It's not what you do. It's like, well, I am a Christian because I go to church. No, you're a Christian because you have Christ living on the inside of you. You have Melchizedek living on the inside of you. Come on. So let's read, let's start now in chapter 7. So who is this Melchizedek? Verse 1, for this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated the king of righteousness and then also the king of Salem, meaning king of peace without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the son of God, remains a priest continually. And so he says seven things. That is a mouthful. That's three paragraphs of halaba, halaba. <laughs> That's three paragraphs of hallelujah. Let's see. He says seven things about Melchizedek. So he says, number one, He's the king of Salem. King of Salem is where? It's Jerusalem. So back then, back in the days of Abram, Abraham, back then it was Abram, but Abraham, that's where he appears. That's when he first appears. Well, it wasn't Jerusalem then. It was just Salem, which means peace. So he's king of of peace. He is king of Salem. And it also says, number two, that he's the priest of the most high God. Then it says that he's without father and mother, without any genealogy. You know, you go through some of these books, like you go through Numbers and you go through Leviticus, for those of you that have like a spirit of long suffering. <clears throat> and you read it and you're like, begot, 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 begot. Why is it important that I read all of those? I mean, how many of you actually read them? Raise your hand. <laughs> okay. You're awesome. Um, anyway, but the whole point is, in the Bible, uh, uh, God very clearly set things in motion, and he said, family lines are important, and I'm going to talk to you about genealogy because my son will eventually come through all of this, and it's all going to have to be documented, okay? 
So, so here shows up Melchizedek, and that guy don't have no mama, and he don't have no daddy, right? And, that, that, and, and, and when you were adopted, you would take on the name and the genealogy of those who adopted you. So this guy, I mean, it was just like he just appeared. And then, he, and then it said this, um, that he, had, he was without a beginning of days nor an end of life. He is continually a priest. And then number seven, it says Melchizedek priesthood results in perfection. All right, seven things. So the truth is this Melchizedek that showed up with Abraham and to Abraham 5,000 years ago, out of nowhere, was actually a pre-incarnate Christ. Do you know what that means? A pre-incarnate Christ, that means that Christ revealed himself the word of God came and revealed himself as a high priest and as the king of Jerusalem. And he appeared to Abraham and he blessed him. And so let's read that, what it says. It says in Genesis 14, verses 18 through 20, it says this, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand. And then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So Melchizedek shows up in the Valley of the Kings, and what he does is he shows up. Okay, Abram just... I wouldn't say he fought a war, but you've got these two groups of kings. You've got five kings on one side, and you've got four kings on the other. Well, they got all sideways with each other, and so they thought they would go to battle. Well, uh, the, the four kings actually take all of the stuff in the people, and they win the victory of the battle against the five kings, okay? So among the five kings are the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah. And so um, Abram finds out about this. Why? Because, of course, you know, that uh, nephew of his ends up getting taken. Poor Lot. That guy, it's just like, your wife has turned to salt. No, anyway, poor guy. Anyway, so so Lot, he's having to rescue Lot again, okay? And so he's like, okay, I'm going to gather all my servants in my house, and i got to go find my nephew. And, and when he does, he actually wins back the nephew, all of the people, and all of the stuff of the king of Sodom. So he's going, and he's taking all of these back, and he's on a procession. And as he's proceeding to meet the king of Sodom and give him all his stuff and all his people back, bam, right before he meets him, Melchizedek shows up and he says that to him. He, he, he blesses him and he comes out and he's like, Hey, I've got bread and wine. The pre-incarnate Christ is coming to father Abraham and he's saying to him, I'm going to give you communion. And then he blesses him. Abraham is so moved by this. And he so has a revelation of who this man is that he actually gives him a tenth of everything that he took that belonged to the king of Sodom. 
Think about that for a minute. That is before Moses. That's before the law. That's before the 10th was even required. It was out of a heart of thankfulness that what he had done, he had brought himself the body and the blood of Jesus. He had given him and broken bread just like he did at the Last Supper. Just like we just did. Do it in remembrance of me. Anyway, so profound. So there's a couple of things you have to see here. Melchizedek says, it says here in in Genesis that he's the king and he's the priest. So the forerunner of Melchizedek functions as a king and a priest. Now, I want you to hold on because I'm going to read through, through, uh, and you can follow me, Hebrews 7 verse 11. Therefore, if perfection, there's that word, if perfection through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not called according to the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. For he whom... He of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no man has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord rose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest who has come, not according to the law of fleshly commandments, but according to the power of the endless life. And then it goes on and it quotes again, for he testifies, you are a priest forever in the quarter, in the order of Melchizedek. So then he he. he he quotes Psalm 110, but he says this. He says, listen, never has a king officiated at the altar. These two tribes were separated. You had Judah and you had the Levites. Those two tribes never came together. That's why this is so astounding because, um, because these two are now together in one. And he says, now that priest has come and will officiate by the power of the Holy Spirit. And through this scripture, now we have the fourth time that Psalm 110 is quoted. And so I want to talk to you about Psalm 110. Can you go ahead and pull that up? Um, I'm only actually going to, I'm only going to actually read verses one and verse four. Because Psalm 110, David is writing and he's seeing something and it's so profound. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord shall send out of the rod of his strength out of Zion. Rule in the midst of your enemies. The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And so I want to tell you this story. And this is why I love what happened with David. So you know the story. Here's David's trying to bring the Ark of, uh, the, Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem, right? He moved the capital of the city to Jerusalem to the city of David. And he's like, this is going to be the capital. This is where I'm going to bring the Ark. 
Well, he, first time he tried to bring the ark, he didn't have any success. Why? He puts it on the cart, and the cart falls, and the, the priest Uzzah goes to catch the ark of the covenant from falling off the cart, and he, when he touches it, God kills him. Why? Because he illegally touched the ark. And so David takes a look at that, and he's thinking to himself, if I can't bring, how am I going to do this? If, if, if one of my favorite priests just got killed, how am I going to bring the ark of his presence? How am I going to bring the ark of the covenant into this, to my house, into the city, into the temple? Which was his greatest desire. And so he goes back and he prays. And I believe that at that time he got a revelation and saw Psalm 110. Because he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. And so he's seeing something that's in Melchizedek. He's seeing something about a priesthood and a different kind of priesthood that's going to bring in the ark of his presence. He's looking at a different revelation and he's tapping into something that is heavenly and that wasn't for his day, but he could apprehend it because he got the revelation. And I'm telling you that if you will get this revelation, you will apprehend it the same way and you will also walk in the same way that David did and you will usher in the ark of his presence into your life. And so David, what he did is the second time he told the priest, he said, you go sanctify yourself because the first time that we brought the ark of the covenant in, we didn't do it rightly. And I've inquired upon the Lord, and now this is how we're going to do it. So he brought order to the house. He had the priests sanctified. And then what did he do? He went and he put on the linen ephod. Now, I want to show you a picture of this. It's not underwear. Do y'all have that, the linen ephod? All right, this is an apron, and this is what the high priest used to wear. And so David takes this and he puts it on over his, over his kingly robes. And he ushers the ark of his presence in as not just the king of Jerusalem, but as the priest of the Most High. And that was the way that he was able to get the ark of the presence of God into the city of David into Jerusalem. Now, this is so critical to hear this, hear this, hear this, because this is what he is, this is what the writer of Hebrews is saying to us. He is saying that he was a forerunner, and he came as both priest and king, and that we ourselves are to walk in both priest and king. Now, turn in your Bibles to Revelation 5. Are you guys okay? Are we okay? Are you still with me? Okay, you're going to have to give me more feedback. Yeah. Okay, thank you. All right. Revelation chapter 5. Okay, so there is this whole scene that's going down. And John the Beloved is having a vision. He's having an encounter with, with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is showing him the revelation and a picture of something. Remember right there in chapter 4, he said, come up here through this doorway because I'm going to show you the things that must come after this. That's for all of us. There is a door. There is a door. Jesus tore the veil so that we could enter in, so that we could see, and so we could hear. And so this is what John 
begins to see. He sees something happening, an event. It's an event that's happening in heaven. Verse 1, and I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals. And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seal. Guys, he's talking about Jesus. He's talking about the Lamb of God. He says here in verse 6, And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures... And in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into the whole earth. And he came and he took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Verse 8. Now, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And it says, and they sang a new song. They sang a new song, which means they'd been singing an old song, which means that there was a song that heaven had been singing up until this point. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Now they're going to sing a new song. All of history has come to this point, and a new song is going to be sung. And this is the new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to our God by your blood, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. That's the new song. That from the point that Jesus came and he, he, the lamb of God that was slain the, from the root of David, from the tribe of Judah, the one who was the king, just like David did, he came and he said, I'm going to take this scroll and I'm now going to be the high priest forever, forever and ever and ever and ever. And there will never be another high priest. You will never need another one other than me. And I'm going to take this scroll. And when I do, I'm going to open it. And when I open it, my beloved ones, my family are going to apprehend the priest and the king. And they're going to live in this order of Melchizedek. They're going to live in this manner. And they are going to be priests of the most high God. Not priests of the most high God. But they're going to be priests and kings as well. He said, I am the king of kings and I am the high priest. And so he is the king of us as kings. And he is also our great high priest. And we live in this priesthood. Right? And he said that because of this, we're going to reign in the earth. And so one more time, I'm going to take you to another scripture. Are you guys holding on? Do you feel like you're drinking from a fire hose? Okay. When Jesus, be uh, when Jesus began his ministry on the earth, he read Luke 4.18, and he said this. He said, listen, I've come, I've come, and I'm going to read this, and I'm telling you why, because I've come to clean up my priests. 
I'm going to come to clean your temple, to clean your house, so that you can function in the order of Melchizedek. And he said this in Luke 4, 18, 19, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of the sight to the, of the blind or to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And he said, I've come to clean house. I have come to clean your house so that I can be fully manifest through you because if your house is not in order, and he said, remember he said, I told the priest, David told the priest, you've got to go sanctify yourselves. You've got to go get your house in order. And Jesus said, I've come to do this for you. I'm going to make a way and I'm going to provide for your house to be swept clean. And then he said, drum roll, now wait until you see the priesthood and the beauty of the priesthood that you're going to walk in. And so with that, I want you to stand because I'm going to read Isaiah, the rest of Isaiah 61 to you. So, so Luke 4, 18 is the first part of Isaiah 61. And I'm going to proclaim this over you. And I want you to receive what I'm about to say. So I want you to put yourself in a posture of receiving this truth and this reality over your life. Because this is what Jesus died on the cross for. Jesus tried, he died on the cross for a priesthood that is holy. He died on the cross for a priesthood who is sanctified. He died on the cross for that our houses would be put in order. And so it says in Isaiah 61... Starting in verse 3. I pray for the Lord God of heaven to bestow on you a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of joy instead of mourning. And a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. You will be called oaks of righteousness. A planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. You will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. You will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks and foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. And you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of the nations, and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. Beloved, this is the perfection of the priesthood. This is our inheritance. This is the fullness of joy. The order of Melchizedek is truly the meat of the gospel. This revelation of who we are called to be, not just people that go to church on Sundays, not just a place we go, but someone that we become. And he said in Revelation 5 that he made us 
He made us into this. So the word says that it's on him. And that if we'll yield our lives and if we'll yield ourselves, that he will make us both priests who gaze at his beauty, who hear the sound of his voice, and kings who release the word of God into the earth. And we take dominion because of what we say and what we do. And so I believe that the, the Lord is telling me that there's an alignment coming to his body. That there is an alignment coming and he's bringing order to his house. And he says, I am after a priesthood, a holy priesthood that is fully sanctified and fully in proper alignment with my desire, with my will in the earth. And through them, I am going to pour out my glory as it's never been seen before. And cities are going to be restored. Families are going to be restored. No sickness or disease will stand before us. Because of the authority and the power and the dominion that's been given to us by Christ Jesus. And so, Father, I do, I just ask you today, God for uh, that this meat would we would digest it father that we would digest this meat father and it would feed ourselves it would feed our souls it would feed our spirits god we thank you god for the order of melchizedek for the beauty of the perfection of the priesthood and we celebrate all that you did at the cross jesus we celebrate you and we bless you this afternoon. And everybody said, Amen. If you've been inspired by this message, we invite you to partner with us by visiting storehousedallas.com forward slash give.